Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we look at who is leading the charge for a four-day work week here in Missouri and what benefits it might afford workers and employers. Then we hear from a local leader about what Juneteenth means to them and how people can get involved. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined for the first time by my co-host, Teddy Mallorca. I'm really excited to get started. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, Siggy? Sure. I'm a summer reporting intern with MBA. I'm a rising junior at Mizzou, and I'm from the Woodlands, Texas. Um, I report stories for the entrepreneurship and healthcare beats. What about you? I'm a summer intern reporting on the economics and sports beats for the Business Alert. I will be a senior in the fall here at Mizzou, and I am from the Chicago area. About time we jump into things. Are you ready to start? Yes. Let's take a look at this week's headlines. Kansas City is one of 16 cities across North America selected to host the 2026 World Cup. The global soccer tournament will be the largest in history, with the use of an expanded format featuring 48 teams instead of 32 for the first time. The result means Kansas City will host between five and seven games at Arrowhead Stadium for the World Cup. A Boston Consulting Group study estimates that each host city could see between $90 million and $480 million in net economic benefit from hosting games. All three major U.S. stock indices officially entered into a bear market this week, meaning they are down at least 20% from their highs earlier this year. That followed the release of May's Consumer Price Index showing that inflation had worsened to a four-decade high of 8.6%. On Monday, the S&P 500 closed down 21% from the record high it hit in January. In response to rising inflation, the Federal Reserve implemented a three-quarter point interest rate hike Wednesday, the largest since November 1994. The hope is that the Fed will eventually be able to rein in inflation to the central bank's target of 2%. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said he doesn't expect moves of this size to happen often, but a half or three-quarter point rate increase in July is likely. Health agencies across the country are closely monitoring whether the federal government will continue to fund COVID-19 tests and vaccines, as cases hover around 31 per 100,000. Multiple bipartisan bills have stalled, leaving local governments in a state of limbo. Many state health agencies lack the financial capability to purchase their own tests and vaccines at a high volume, and there are worries that continued federal inaction could force states to compete against each other and other countries for supplies. President Joe Biden asked for $22.5 billion in funding back in March, but no bills have reached the floor. In that time, the seven-day average for COVID cases has increased from 49,000 to 108,000 and is expected to rise even higher with summer travel. A recent report found that more than 20 percent of rural hospitals in the United States are at risk of closing their doors. In Missouri, smaller hospitals have already started to buckle under financial pressure. Audrain Community Hospital and Callaway Community Hospital were both closed in March by the same ownership group, Noble Health. The company was launched by a private equity venture capital firm with little to no experience in the healthcare field. The company raised millions in funding and was the beneficiary of $20 million in federal funding, but not all of that money has been accounted for, even with the two closures. Private equity firms are increasingly getting involved in the healthcare industry, boosting their ownership of rural hospitals. And Missouri Senator Roy Blunt is one of 20 senators who have agreed to the framework for a bipartisan gun safety bill. The group that signed on to support the bill was evenly split with 10 Democrats and 10 Republicans. 
Blunt, a Republican, is set to retire at the end of his term later this year. He has traditionally been a staunch supporter of gun rights, with an A rating from the National Rifle Association. Following the mass shootings in a Buffalo, New York supermarket and a Uvalde, Texas elementary school, Blunt called for action to be taken to try and prevent similar incidents in the future. The proposed legislation would add restrictions for gun buyers under the age of 21, give grants to states that implement red flag laws, and expand funding for mental health resources. For our first segment, Teddy, you looked at a recent trend of businesses shifting to a four-day work week. That's right. A 2021 survey by Good Hire of 4,000 U.S. workers revealed that 83% of workers would be in favor of a four-day work week, and in some places that is already a reality. Before we dive more into what this would look like in Missouri, what has caused this recent shift? Well, due to COVID-19, a large number of employers shifted to hybrid or remote work models. During that time, the line between work and home life got blurry for many employees, and there was an increased demand for better work conditions. Now, with many offices returning to in-person work, that demand has remained the same. For some, that has meant pivoting to a shorter work week. Okay, that makes sense. And looking at Missouri specifically, are we seeing any employers using four-day work weeks? Yeah, there have been a few employers that have adopted the model. So far, a few of the state's nonprofit community action agencies are making the change. Northeast Community Action Corporation in Bowling Green is one of the more recent agencies to make the switch with an announcement that they will shift over to a four-day work week in August. I had the chance to talk with Bowling Green Director of Public Relations, Brent Engel, and he said the decision was motivated largely by trying to cater to what their employees want while still maintaining high-quality service. Uh, you know, employees want more from their uh, workplaces now. Uh, they want job satisfaction. Uh, they rate that very highly. Uh, we have a great, a great staff of employees who work very hard and very diligently to make sure clients are served and to capture the cream of the crop we want to make sure incentives available, and this is one more incentive. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, who wouldn't want 52 more days off a year? Using it as a way to try and attract employees is an interesting approach. Have there been any concerns on their end about implementing this type of system? Engel said that most employees are already used to working some type of alternate schedule. Other community action corporations around the state use a four-day week. The Weatherization Department of the Northeast Community Action Corporation, or NECAC, has been on a four-day week for over a year, and its home services program workers often have had to work holidays, weekends, and late nights based on client availability. So there has already been a framework for this internally. Engel did say that they have tried to get the word out to their clients, but it might take some time for some of them to adjust. We've already gotten the word out to clients and continue to do that uh, because we want to make sure that they know. All of the emergency numbers that NECAC currently has will be left in place so that if there is a problem, people can call us or reach uh, somebody uh, and find out uh, more about the program they're interested in. But um, and invariably, those calls come at the last moment or on weekends and holidays. You mentioned earlier that some parts of the agency have already started working four-day weeks. What sort of effects have we seen from these departments and the time they have been on that schedule? The weatherization department, which focuses on making low-income homes energy efficient, started using a four-day week in 2021. Department Director Joe Finley says the shift made sense for the department because their workers are often asked to travel long distances. 
So removing one workday and adding a few hours to the remaining days to help account for that travel made sense, and it allowed them to be more productive. Finley said employee retention has been a lot better with that change, and overall morale has been high. The staff, we actually did an in-house survey, just kind of a, I don't want to say personal, but just in our department, we did a, a little survey where we asked everyone, you know, how their four-day work week has affected them, and we got no, absolutely zero negative feedback. Um, a lot of them, you know, one of the biggest things was more time with the family on the weekends. Um, you know, just enjoy life a little more on the weekends. Wow, so they've managed to maintain the same level of productivity alongside all of the personal benefits that employees seem to be enjoying. Now, as we mentioned, the push for a four-day week has gained a lot of traction in recent years, but its history in Missouri goes back a bit further, right? That's correct. In 1979 and 1980, Rala did some test runs of a four-day work week for the Public Works Department. During the trial period, use of sick leave decreased by 52% and productivity increased by 19.3% among field crews. The program was expanded to the rest of City Hall, but was eventually ended by labor regulations. Public works crews now only receive a four-day work week during the summer. With many workspaces adopting increased flexibility with hybrid and remote work, it will be worth monitoring to see just how many employers make the switch to a shorter work week. Thank you for your reporting on this, Teddy. No problem. We'll be back in a few seconds with more Business Brief. For our next story, we're looking at the upcoming Juneteenth holiday and how Black-owned businesses are trying to raise awareness for the holiday. For our listeners who might not be familiar with what Juneteenth is, could you explain what it is? Sure. The holiday falls on June 19th and is often referred to as Emancipation Day. It is the anniversary of June 19, 1865, when a proclamation freed the enslaved people of Texas, the last state of the Confederacy to have institutional slavery. Last year, President Joe Biden officially made the day a federal holiday, and the holiday has become a way of celebrating African-American culture. What is happening here in Missouri to celebrate Juneteenth? Well, plenty of community leaders have organized different events and activities for the day. I had a chance to sit down with one of those event organizers, Love Holt, who is an event coordinator for the Juneteenth celebration in St. Louis. We talked about what the celebration will look like and what Holt hopes to give the community through the event. Here is some of that conversation. I know that you're the events director for the Juneteenth celebration in St. Louis. Yes, so I am Dr. Love Holt. I use she, her, goddess pronouns. (laughs) Um, And uh, I am a community activist. I wear a lot of hats. I'm an organizer with Pro-Choice Missouri. I work in HIV prevention and education, and I am a reproductive health advocate in St. Louis, Missouri. And of course, community event coordinator. Can you tell me more about your role as the event coordinator for the Juneteenth celebration in St. Louis? Yes. So working for the Community Wellness Project, we are a 20 plus year organization that is the boots on the ground in the black community for reproductive support. And I felt like it was important for us to support a Juneteenth effort for two reasons. One reason was because our communities in black and brown neighborhoods are disproportionately affected by a lot of what happens in our community because we have lack of access to resources. A lot of resources aren't visible and they don't know how to get in contact with those outlets for for support. And the second reason is because we needed an opportunity 
to uh, celebrate real black joy in a peaceful environment that's kid friendly and full of loving support. So those two thoughts um, birthed the idea of our Juneteenth celebration and resource fair. This fair features black and brown vendors. And then we have organizations come in that provide community resources to those disproportionately affected communities. So if any organization that provides resources to black and brown people, I give them a free table to come and give their resources. We also have a kids zone tent sponsored by Target and Pfizer this year. And then they'll be hosting science experiments, free giveaways and games for our youth. Awesome. And uh, can you just tell me a bit about like what types of businesses will be at the Juneteenth um, celebration? Absolutely. So I'm super proud of our vendors. Um, And we have, I like to keep a variety of vendors. I don't allow more than four people to sell the same thing. And I kind of mix them up on the floor. And so we have t-shirt vendors. We have people who sell candles and handmade incense. We have the Sankofa Foundation who will have beautiful African artifacts like drums and beads and dashikis. We also have uh, food vendors of all kinds. We have a vegan gentleman. His company is called Divine Vegan. He's a, a small business. He literally sets up like a fry basket and a, a table and he doesn't have much tents, but he sell, he sold out last year. His line was wrapped around the the place so I was happy to see him though he was just a budding business owner he still got his opportunity to shine like a larger company uh there's just pops and they have a popcorn company and that's actually a youth entrepreneur the owner of that company is only 17 years old so we have a vast variety of vendors that offer all kinds of wares and services Can you tell me about how uh, Juneteenth is celebrated uh, throughout the St. Louis area? So throughout the St. Louis area, uh, we have only had only a few, um, a few Juneteenth celebrations and it slips my mind the name of the organization, but they have historically done a Juneteenth for probably 17 years and nobody knew about it because it was just for the African community or the uh, African-American community that connects their diaspora roots in Africa. And uh, so they have held one for 16 years. Prior to them, I had not heard of many other Juneteenth celebrations in the Missouri area. My first encounter as a Missourian with uh, Juneteenth was in Charlotte, North Carolina. They had a beautiful multicultural festival with dancers and drummers and stilt walkers. And to this day, it was the most amazing thing I had ever saw. And I was hoping to recreate that same energy right here in the middle of the United States. And this kind of, I guess, segues into my uh, uh, next question. Uh, What does Juneteenth mean to you? Juneteenth is very important to me as a Black woman in, uh, in America. It is an opportunity for us to have some resonance with real independence and the fight for that. You know, we hear about the great waving flag every time we sing the national anthem. Um, However, we never really get the opportunity to edify and exalt real black liberation and freedom. And for me, Juneteenth celebration is exactly that. 
It is my version of a 4th of July celebration. And it should be accompanied with fireworks and picnics and families wearing matching outfits. Uh, however, that is a dream that we're now growing. And it's important for me that we are constantly um, connecting back to our roots uh, in the diaspora. Though we may not have all come from Africa, we all have a descent and origin in Africa. So it's some rate in, in our, our genealogy, right? And so I want us to be able to connect and identify with other Africans here in America. Our communities are so fat fragmented and that disenfranchises us because we need each other, uh, no matter if we're originally from Africa or, or we just share brown skin together. So it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge our African brothers and sisters and to get a better understanding of each of those communities and culture. And the last thing, but definitely not the least, is to stimulate the Black economic system, to understand how to circulate our dollar more in Black communities, how to take back our power as business owners, entrepreneurs, and to be able to establish ourselves in this country like a lot of others have had the chance to by buying property and owning businesses. And I would love uh, for Juneteenth to also represent healthy Black economics. Amazing. Um, thank you so much. I think that's really all the questions that I have. Thank you. It was nice meeting you. It is now time to move on to our words of the week. Teddy, what do you have for us this week? I've chosen emergency use authorization. Okay, could you explain what that means? So emergency use authorization is a tool the Food and Drug Administration can use to expedite the development and authorization of medical products during a public health emergency. That makes sense. Then I assume this has to do with recent news around COVID? You're right, it does. An FDA committee voted to expand the EUA for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to be used on children under the age of five. For Pfizer, a three-shot series was approved for kids between six months and four years old. Moderna's two-shot vaccine was approved for all kids under the age of five. In the same move, Pfizer was approved for children between six and 17 years old. So what happens now? Well, the FDA must fully authorize the vaccine now, and then it will move over to the Centers for Disease Control, where the vaccine advisors will have to recommend the vaccine before it receives final approval from the CDC director. After that, the vaccines will become available for children in the age brackets. What did you choose for your word of the week? I chose aldermanic courtesy. And what made you choose that? Well, St. Louis aldermen have been in the news recently with three being indicted on federal bribery charges earlier this month. The charges accused Alderman John Collins Muhammad and Jeffrey Boyd and aldermanic president Lewis Reed of using aldermanic courtesy to solicit bribes in exchange for political support on land purchases and tax breaks. What does aldermanic courtesy allow? So it's a practice giving individual aldermen veto power in their districts over tax breaks, developments, and other city government functions. Projects can't move forward without a letter of approval from a local alderman. Recently, a grant program for North St. Louis that received $500 million in federal COVID funding codified this practice. Is there a re-examination of this process with the recent arrests? Yes, so the grant program and aldermen's roles in some aspects of city government are receiving a lot more scrutiny now. Mayor Tashara Jones approved the grant program, but her office said they will be looking at the aldermanic approval provision and other ethical questions. For some aldermen, the belief is that the provision places more power in the hands of the people that know the community best. That's all for Words of the Week, but before we sign off, we'll leave you with our closing thought. 
Here is Joe Finley again talking about the benefit of a four-day work week for new employees that are undergoing training. One thing that I could throw in there, a, a pro for the four-day work week, is it also allows more training time on the homes for new um, hired staff, especially for our crew technicians out in the field, because um, it's it's mainly all OJT on-the-job training. So the four-day work week, with the, having an extra hour, in our case, two hours a day, um, it gives us a little bit more time to train new employees because that training is, is vital to what we do. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing music for this episode. For my co-host, Teddy Mallorca, editors Ian Laird, James Marshall, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.